Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters, number 381. Shout out to Gideon Ollinger. My name is Caleb Haig. As usual, I'm Rob Vanoff without any special uh, message. Yeah, so the fir- one of the first messages I see is from Gideon. Shout me out. <laughs> Can you shout me out? There oh. you go, Gideon. The shout out has been given. It has been given. All right, let's jump right in. Let's just jump right in. Okay. okay go. I'm going to. I'm going to first tell everyone there's a new produ- producer credit mug up on uh, Toro Resource. At least I think it's up on Toro Resource. If it's not up right now, then it should be by the end of the day. So all of our producers, I've been asked by a lot of people, when is the next producer credit coming out? Because we missed we missed winter, but that's okay. It's up now, and so hopefully next week, all of our producers. Uh, we'll have new producer credits up for everyone. But for right now, you can see them at the bottom of the screen. Thank you to all of our producers. And uh, yeah, it up. we are also grateful for everybody who supports this show. And uh, there are uh, there are a lot of people who who help this show go. And uh, it might not it might not seem like it's important, but honestly, for us, if people want to keep hearing the show and producing the show, uh, then it really does actually. Uh, it's it's surprising how much it actually costs us to produce this show. Um, some people might think that it doesn't, but it does. So we are super grateful to everyone. And check this out, Rob. I never told you this. Uh, somebody told me that I should get a legit soundboard instead of having yeah. this this horrible one that keeps like crashing on me and I can never get it to work right and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, they were like, can I donate some money for a soundboard? And I was like, well, let me just... Let me just talk to my. Let's talk to the president of Tor Resource real quick. So I think that that might actually happen. It's it, it, it's exciting. It is exciting times here, at the uh, in, at the information station. That is really cool. I I think one of those control box. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a control thing with all the buttons that you can program. Right. Yes. That would be sweet too. So you have right there. You That's, can have yep. any sound effect. Analog. Okay, Caleb. Analog I'm not a member to the Messiah. I'm like trying to log in, and so I can see the new design. Yeah, uh, you don't have to be a member. Uh, I think you can. Let's see. Let's see. Well, okay. Let's just see. If, what I did, I went to our resource resources. Messiah matters. Yeah, I think that. Oh actually, no! Wait a minute. Okay, I clicked the wrong thing. Oops. Here. I think I could be wrong about this. It might not be up yet. It might not be up. Okay. Let's just see. So if you go to shop, hover over shop. Okay. You can okay, tell that you can tell how pumped we are for this show. And then go to <laughs> go down to other other materials. Go down to other oh, materials. And right gotcha. there, Messiah Matters producer credit spring twenty twenty two. And I actually he sent that to me. I actually don't know what that is a ripoff of, but I know it's a ripoff of something. I think it's like well, I don't want to say anything because I have a, I have an idea. Mike, if you're listening, put it in the chat room. Where'd you Where'd you pull that from? Okay, okay, okay. Let's keep going here. Do I still have my? Uh, oh yeah, that is a that is a good looking mug. It's a good looking mug. Two five three four six five three two zero five two five three four six five three two zero five. That is our comment line, and uh, you won't talk to us. You just be able to give us a message. And uh, if you forget that uh, during the week, just sing the song. Messiah matters. Wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call two five three four six five three two zero five. Thank you, Mike. It is the CDC logo. <laughs> Oh, 
Awesome. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, I love it so much. Okay, you can also shoot us email, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G okay, at torresource.com. I have, a, I have an idea for Mike's next design or a future design. Okay. If if the Messiah Matters, the wonderful uh, phone number jingle was transmuted into a mug design, what would it look like? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. No, that's for Mike. That's for Mike. Oh, that's for Mike. For his creative, like, you know, with the sounds, like, I don't know. A circus? <laughs> a bar- Barnum's, Barnum and Bailey's? And you could add the, uh, yay, or, or, or the you've been blessed. <laughs> a, kid on, a kid on a roller yay. coaster, yay. Uh, okay. Uh, so... On the other side, so, oh, on the other side of the parody of the Department of Health and Human Resources. That's awesome. Okay, okay. And uh, last but not least, don't forget to subscribe or subscribe to our YouTube channel and like this video. Okay, we've got a lot going on here. Rob missed last week. If you didn't know, I did a show by myself, and I the the plan was to come on and talk about an email that I had received for ten minutes and tell everyone we weren't going to have a show. That was the plan. It turned into an hour long show, and uh, so. Uh, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about Passover. Passover. It is the it's the most wonderful time of the year. I really believe that. I really believe that Passover is the most wonderful time of the year. I absolutely love it. I love it. It is the greatest day of the year. Um, I'm like a little kid. And here's the thing is that my kids are super pumped about it. I tell everyone, every year I tell everyone, I bribe my kids to love Passover. And I do that by, we took gifts that we would normally give during the pa- or during the Hanukkah season, right? And uh, the in-laws give us Christmas gifts, even though we've told them probably a hundred times not to. Uh, we still get Christmas gifts from them. Okay, whatever. Um, but we decided, hey, let's ta- let's do that during Passover instead. So our kids search for leaven the night before Passover starts, and throughout their leaven hunt, uh, there are gifts that we put the leaven on top of. And so the kids are just they got they they are they're pumped and ready to go, and and I'm pumped for it as well. Anyway, with all of that said, we've been talking about Second Corinthians or First Corinthians. 11. 11. One of the things I wanted to do today that I don't think we're going to have time to get to because we got so many other things, but one of the things that I wanted to get to today was I wanted to now take 1 Corinthians 11 and come at it from the other side. For the past two weeks, I've looked at it from what if they're talking about banquets? What if they're talking about the the date non? Okay. Um, But, and I've, and I've defended it from that position, but what if they're talking about Passover? What would that look like? So what I wanted to do was then go in and do the flip side of 1 Corinthians 11 and come at it from the Passover perspective. In other words, let's see the other side of the argument. It, it was, there's, your, there's your article right there, Caleb, yeah. or book, booklet, yeah. the Passover perspective. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, I, I've Rabbi always... Caleb Hague. Oh, my gosh, please, no. I've written a lot of different things, but but when I read Brant Petrie's book on the Eucharistic words of Yeshua, or no, I forget what it's called now. That shows how how out of the loop I am. Anyway, um, when I when I read that book, he said I have. He's talking about the various cr- chronologies of the Passover of the Last Supper, and he says uh, it took me three years to write this book, and for six months I tried to think of and take the perspective of each one of the chronologies. So that I could not only defend it, but to see if I really and I and, knew it. 
It really, really knew, knew it. it. And what I've done uh, ever since I read that book is I've really tried to put myself in the various different arguments. And especially for this one, since I'm not 100% uh, convinced either way, uh, I'm really trying to spend time in that headspace. So anyway, that's what I wanted to do today. Guess what? We're going to do that next week instead. And the reason why is because we have, in the past 24 hours, we had a couple of different things we were going to talk about. In the past 24 hours, we've received several different messages. They're all about Passover slash Easter. And uh, so let's jump right in. Now, this one came in last week. Okay. This is from Unashamed of Jesus, who is often in the chat room. I don't think they are right now. I maybe have assumed that this is a woman, but I could be totally wrong about that. So I apologize if this is not a woman. Um, but at the same time, uh, they, uh, whoever it is, uh, comments on our on our videos. Whatever your gender. <laughs> whatever, yeah, I don't, yeah. Okay, let's not get into that. Uh, so this is what Unashamed of Jesus says. Caleb, you said Christ didn't institute anything new at the Last Supper, but this isn't being honest. I think it is being honest, but let's keep going. Never before, except that night, did Christ take the bread and cup and say, this is my body and blood, and this is the new co- in, in the new covenant. He doesn't say, and this is the new covenant. That's not what he says, first of all. He says, this is, he, he takes, he says, this is the blood, uh, this is, this is my blood in the new covenant. Anyway, um, that's not an institution of, of something new. Something new would be instituting something new. Okay. So yes, he takes all of that and, but the new covenant had been instituted long before that. We know that from Romans and we know that from Galatians when, um, I, I'm so sorry. Unashamed of Jesus says, Hey, I'm a guy. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize, man. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> I do. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that. You're anyway, just not. You're just checking your presumptions. I'm just checking my presumptions. Okay. So, um, the, the new covenant was not instituted, and this is one of the. And I think that I think that unashamed of Jesus would probably agree with this. Um, the new covenant was not instituted on the night of the Passover uh, of the Last Supper. Abraham was part of the new covenant. Paul uses him as the model of of salvation by faith, right? So to institute something means that he has established something new. So going on with this comment, he says, so to say Christ didn't institute anything new is not being truthful. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Do the Passover. The Passover was instituted long before. I think the Passover was instituted in 1446, BC officially when they came out of, of Egypt. And I think that actually, and I've said this before, I could be wrong, but I think that actually the Passover was instituted before that. Moses says to Pharaoh, we have to go out and sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to go celebrate. Why? Why did they have to go out and, and sacrifice to the Lord? I think that they were actually going out to celebrate Passover. The progressive revelation hadn't come through, but uh, at that point, but okay. So do this in remembrance of me is, is talking about the Passover, which was instituted, I believe, let's just say 1446. Okay. Unashamed of Jesus goes on. He says, then Paul in first Corinthians 10 and 11 repeats the same words of Christ in Luke 22. This is not a traditional Passover feast. I might agree with that. I might not, but I might agree with that. Paul is doing the Lord's Supper, Christ instituted at the Passover. I totally disagree with that because we know Christ is our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. I agree that he's our Passover lamb. Christ has always been our Passover lamb, always. 
Abraham agreed with that. Rob, do you think that that uh, that Christ instituted something new? On- well, so is there a difference of if there's a if if we read First Corinthians eleven that there is. Uh, there are new believers who are learning to prioritize their uh, their fellowship, their their unity in the spirit of Messiah, and that they are to then gather together in a kind of you know ritual way to celebrate and kind of amplify that unity that they have, um, and they're doing that in in the common the broader uh, form of, of, of a dapnon, which other people have dapnons, right? I right. mean, but, but they're not, they're not celebrating obviously the messianic uh, unity that they have and their part and their participation or uh, their, uh, their being beneficiaries of the covenant with Abraham. Right. So, um, if if that's true, um, they, I think that you can take the and I, I, we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You can take the Pesach. Paul seems to be arguing from Pes from the picture of Pesach that Yeshua is present. I mean, they are his body, so you, they are getting together. They are it, you know, if it's not about just coming and eating, because he says if you're hungry, eat at home. It's something different. It's coming and celebrating unity in Messiah. But can I say Yeshua is present, and I can say Yeshua is the Passover lamb, and we're going to have this dapnon, but it's not a Passover, but we're going to have the elements, we're going to have bread and wine, and in that case, can it be leavened bread, right, uh, as, as a way for Gentiles to transition away from whatever their popular culture is doing, whatever their network that they used to be part of and participants in, they're they're having to transition to it to recognize their unity with with all believers now and they're and so i can understand paul saying yes it's important that you have meals together but it's important that you do so properly but is it a is it a um commandment that they reenact the passover Every time they do this, I don't, I don't see that as a commandment that Paul's making. I, I see he's using Passover as uh, the exemplary moment where Yeshua communicates that it's his body. No, okay, but hey, hang on just a sec. We need, to make, we need to be very clear here. This does not mean that Passover should not be done unto Christ. In other words, we should the, the command in the Torah is do, to do the, this, that is the Passover, to do this as a memorial throughout your generations. Christ says, do this in remembrance as a memorial right. to me. And, and in Exodus, it's, it's called a zikaron. It's right. a memorial. Now, what it, it seems what it seems like unashamed of Jesus is saying is that, no, it's not the Passover, that we have something completely new instituted. That's not the case. Christ clearly is talking about the Passover. And unashamed of Jesus says, Moses never said the bread was the body of the Messiah and the cup was his blood. There's no cup associated with, with Passover. That's tradition. There's no cup at all. So, I, I mean, there, if you look at, at the Passover commands, there's no, nowhere is there a cup. And so, obviously, we have to now look at the cup and the bread in the first century context and ask, what was this? 
And I think that anyone who is honest with the historical background will find that the cup and the bread are are cultural things. Now, certainly the, the unleavened bread is commanded in the Torah. There's no doubt about that. So I'm with that. But the point is, is the fact that Luke mentions two cups shows that there, there is a <clears throat> cultural aspect here that we have to, so, we have to so look at. So what you're calling a cultural kind of appropriation of the Dapnon, right? another person might say, no, that's institution. I mean, I, I could... Right? Is that, the, is that where yeah, we're, what, well, we're making the difference? Here's, here's the thing. Okay. I can agree with Unashamed of Jesus in this fact. Did Christ make something, change something or make something new? And I would say yes. He made he focused the Passover to its to where it is supposed to be has always supposed to be focused, which is on Christ. In other words, the Passover lamb was always pointing to Christ. The Exodus was always pointing to coming out from under sin and coming into uh, into service of the Almighty God. Okay, we even see uh, we even see shadows of this in the firstborn. The firstborn is taken away from Pharaoh, but the firstborn of God is given for his people. Okay? So in all of this, can I say that that Christ, What I, I mean, I don't know if, if instituting something new would be how I would say it. I would say that what Christ does is he, is he uh, reveals the final progressive revelation of the Passover. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, it's all been pointing to me, so now do it in remembrance of me. What I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but what I believe Unashamed of Jesus is trying to argue is that Christ institutes something completely different than the Passover, which is the communion or the Eucharist. And if that's what is being said, I'm sorry, textually you have no ground, the church has no ground to stand on. This is like, the, so I don't know if people know this or not, but the Catholic priesthood was established from this verse too. Do this in remembrance of me. Because they say that it's a continual uh, sacrifice. I'm sorry, but this verse has been twisted over and over and over again. If you just set it right where it's supposed to go in its, in its textual context, in its historical context rather, then he's obviously talking about the Passover. He's not instituting a new rite or communion or anything like that. I'm sorry, it's, it just is not supported. I will, I, I would go head-to-head -head with any scholar on that. I'm not a scholar, but I would go head-to-head -head with any scholar on that. And the reason why is because there are really good scholars, who, including Catholic scholars, who say, yeah, it's in the context of the Passover. They have to be honest with the text. Now, they're going to say that it's been instituting something new, but it's, I just don't see that in the text at all. Should we move on? Or do you have more to say? Sure. No, no, that's good. Okay, let's do it. Um, Nell de Bell. Nell de Bell. I almost need my own jingle for this. Okay, Nell de Bell writes in. And as always, her, uh, her question is a good one. Could you address the origins of the word Easter? I do not understand why the church continues to use the word, which I cannot find a biblical origin for. At least with Christmas, you have the word Christ. This is only a side question and not super important. I just have noticed the big church in our town, all their members have signs out this year that say Easter. And I just wondered how many people stop and wonder where the word comes from. 
I was confronted a few years back by a friend that I had known growing up that uh, that the homosexuality was okay because the word homosexuality could not be found in the Bible. Interesting. I don't understand how we so easily look one way but not the other. In our church today, uh, in our church day, sorry, period, I know you may not find this valid uh, to discuss, so on and so forth. Okay, Nell DeBell, this is a good question, and this is why my father, Tim Haig, president of Dora Resource, has written an entire article on it, which you can find in the link. There's a link in the description of this video called something to the uh, effect of, is the word Easter derived from a pagan goddess? Um, If you look on Facebook or if you look online, you are going to find all sorts of memes and all sorts of Facebook posts that are going to talk about the fact that this word Easter comes from a pagan god or goddess known as Eshtar. And that's where we get the book of Esther. Is it? Is it really? <laughs> um, we're really, we're really supposed to read Esther at Purim, or, or at at Pesach. No, uh, I'm totally Rob's. Rob's on. Well, his, what I'm showing is that you could totally make. Yeah. You could just make a video, and it would get and a million it, views, millions of views. And and you're right. And that's exactly what happens. People regurgitate these memes and these things, and and they essentially are pushing uh, something without any historical background. So, um, let's let's first ask this question: Is the name Easter derived from a pagan goddess Ishtar? Uh, Probably not, but possibly, but not the way you might think. And the reason why is because Easter is only called Easter in uh, America and Germany and maybe uh, a handful of other countries. Normally, Easter is called, in the church, it's called Pascha, not Easter. Easter is uh, is the name of the month in German that the Passover or the Pascha falls in. And so the the uh, the name Easter that we have attached to the uh, wider church's celebration uh, is is derived from a month name. They named it for the month that it falls in, which is is Easter. it still a German month name, or was it was that just back in centuries ago when it had that name? I'm sorry, say that one more time. I was reading. I don't know if it's still a name in German. Oh, month. I don't know. I th- I think it was. I think you're right. So what you're saying is that the word Easter with the capital E is a kind of a North American Christianity problem. It's not really. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is that many people within the Hebrew roots movement and the Torah movement at large, uh, they only they think that if America believes it, then then uh, then it must be true for it must be true for everybody. This is the standard for the world today. Uh, Yeah, it's not the case. Therefore, Um, Christianity is. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just another example of we got to be quick to hear and slow to speak, you know, like James says. Right. Um, I'm wondering, so hang on just a sec. I want to go back to uh, Lee's comments. All I see is that's what I'm studying. What are you studying, Lee? Oh, this is part of my research topic, all early Christian celebrated Pascha. However, I can only find groups that celebrated for three days. Some starting on Nissan 14, others on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Interesting. That would be good to see. Okay. Um, yeah, so Paul Archer says it's the old German, and my father, uh, Easter is the old German. My father actually walks through the progression of this name and shows that this is not actually uh, derived from some uh, fertility rite to the goddess Ishtar. Now, I'm not—it needs to be quickly said. 
This is not to say that there might be some pagan trappings that have attached themselves to Easter. Easter bunnies, Easter eggs. Now, there are... Chocolate. Cho- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. There are, uh, there are arguments b- from mainstream Christianity against the idea of these things being pagan. Okay? Um, I'm not going to say neither here nor there what's going on there. What I can tell you is that if we just look at the name Easter... The notion that this is a pagan, that, that the, the, the celebration of Easter was named after the pagan goddess Ishtar uh, because there was a fertility rite uh, on that day. I don't it, think people knew about Ishtar. It's nonsense. That is I, I, complete you know what I mean? nonsense. I don't even think that it was culturally available information about Ishtar for them. You know, I mean, that would be, that assumes a lot of like, a lot of ancient, a very specific ancient Near Eastern religious tradition had had survived in, you know, medieval Germany, right? By the name, and they had retained the they had retained the <laughs> the ancient Near Eastern name and everything. It's just uh, this yeah. comes from uh, two Babylons and Lou White's fossilized customs. Basically, it's this idea that we are going to attach everything to paganism. And the idea that there was this fertility rite on Easter uh, that that took place and that Ishtar came down the river in an egg and it hatched and she fertilized the earth. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not the case. However, I would need to see some solid evidence of that. That's all I'm saying. No, it's folklore. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is like folklore that sadly spreads and people believe it without investigating it. So, I mean, I'm, I don't know the, the, uh, the history of Ishtar. I don't know what time those, uh, those legends would have come into being. I haven't done the research to actually look at that. However, I personally, personally have never seen any legitimate research to show, to say one way or the other. Now I'm not saying that, uh, that 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 couldn't be the case. It could be the case. However, I'm not going to take Lou White's uh, word for it. That is for sure. Right, especially when he starts promoting like Hebrew word pictures or other nonsense. It's right. like trading nonsense for nonsense. It's like okay, well, here's the other thing. We have we have the revealed word of God. So, and that's what we're supposed to meditate on. If someone wants to, oh, I'm going to prove that this you know this strange thing that's not commanded came from this other strange thing. I mean, as from a historical perspective, go for it. But I'm, I'm sure somebody's done the research. I'm, I'm positive yeah. somebody has, but um, I that, think it's, but I my gut is that it's inconclusive. I mean, I, I haven't looked at this for years, but I, I haven't seen it though. The one thing I can say with pretty certain confidence on this is that uh, the, the name Easter is not derived from the pagan goddess Ishtar. That's not where it comes from. Now, I think, if I remember right, is that the first English Bible using Easter, is that the King James in Acts 12, where they they put Easter for Pascha? Yeah, I'm not going to say that either, because I think that Tyndale may have done that as well. Okay. So it may have been before. So there's there's uh, there's a good project. What's the first... I, uh, English my, Bible. My father talks about it in his. Oh, I, I think we can actually look at that, can't oh, we? Good. Let's yeah. see here. 
Hang on. Oh, I don't. Oh, uh, no, that's the wrong one. Anyway, I'll look. Um, yeah, Inspiring Philosophy has done, uh, and I, I know Mike, and we've had lunch together, and I talk to him from time to time. He does some excellent work on certain things, but uh, he's, I, I disagree with him on, on a lot of his uh, nothing is pagan. In fact, I asked him recently about syncretism. Does he think that believers should uh, engage in syncretism? He said, absolutely not. And I said, then why would you promote Christmas since it's a Catholic holiday? That's, you're saying that believers should celebrate something that's Catholic. And he said, well, that's a conversation for a different time. So, and, and maybe it is, but the point is, is I don't buy it. I just don't buy a lot of what, what uh, he says in terms of the whole, uh, now I think he's doing good work in terms of trying to take things back to their historical uh, uh, starting point. So I don't want to down Mike in, in, you know, in that respect. I think that he's, he's done some good work. And I think his work on the, uh, on the date of the Exodus, um, I disagree with him on certain things, but I think that, I think he's done some better work than, than many on that. So anyway, all right, let's, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Mike. So let's just take a look here uh, on my father's article. Does the English word Easter derive from the name of the pagan goddess Ishtar? You can find that link in the description of this video. And uh, by the time the KJV was translated in, 19, in 1611, the word Easter uh, had become the long-standing name of the holiday based upon the month in which it most often occurred. The name Easter itself then had no more connection to the pagan grammatical goddess and most certainly no connection. Okay, The entry in the Oxford Dictionary of English Etymology likewise takes the der derivation of Easter as from the German. So anyway, I would just recommend everybody just go read this. It's short and it's to the point. You can read it and get all of your facts there. Okay, let's see here. Um, oh, Matt. Yeah, this is so Matt from Michigan. I don't know if everybody remembers Matt from Michigan. Matt from Michigan gave us a call this morning, and nice. uh, this, this is what he said. I was reading Jeremiah 31 by uh, happenstance where I'm at um, in my reading, and obviously New Covenant. And then, so that had me turn to Luke, um, naturally, and so then I was reading, you know, I was like, what did Jesus actually say there? This cup. Well, then I was thinking, well, which cup? Passover is getting ready to take place, and I thought, well, you know, when there's multiple cups of wine that are uh, given, and so then I was like, you know what, I think on Tor Resource there is a article by Tim that details the four cups Link in the description. of the uh, Seder. And so which cup most represents the New Covenant, which represents the language in Jeremiah 31? And from reading uh, Tim's article, as well as just pondering it more and more, it really appears that could it have been the fourth cup? Okay, let's talk about this. First of all, um, link in the description for the article that uh, Matt from Michigan is referencing. The article in question is called Four Cups and Their Meaning in the Passover Seder. Now, it should be uh, it should be noted right away that uh, this is a this is an, a second edition of the article. In fact, when my father wrote uh, wrote this, it was a very long time ago. I think it was 
early 2000s. And when we, re, uh, when we did the book, Celebrate the Feast, which you can buy on Torah Resource, by the way, I would encourage everybody to do that. There are articles from both uh, my father and from Rob, and then some hack named Caleb Haig also wrote in there. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot of, of uh, great articles, most of them by my father, by the way. Anyway, he wrote this uh, article, and as uh, I was editing the, the, uh, and putting together this book, Celebrate the Feast, uh, I, I said to him, hey, look, just from the research I've done, let's talk about this article. And so if you go into the uh, second paragraph, this is what my father says in his article, because he did some revisions to this. He says, over the centuries, the Passover Seder has grown in new and meaningful traditions, but the core of the celebration dates back to the rabbinic literature that is traditionally placed as early as the third and fourth century. So that needs that is the that is straight out of the gate one of the things that my father has now. Uh, he's placed the traditions in this time period. So you're talking th- uh, four to five hundred years minimum after Christ was on earth. Um, and then also he says the specific reason four cups were chosen is no is unknown, but the rabbis link it back to the biblical text of, of Exodus, unfolding the whole story of the Exodus from Egypt. This is in the third paragraph. And there is a footnote. Footnote number two says, although the rabbis attach the meaning to this text, this is most likely a later interpretation. Multiple cups were most likely a cultural element that the rabbis wanted to give religious significance to, end quote. Um I'm just going to put it out there, and then I'll let uh, Rob run with it. The four cups uh, that we find in the rabbinical literature of the fourth, uh, third and fourth century at the earliest, uh, I believe were uh, the rabbis taking uh, elements of the Dapnon and saying, there's a biblical reason for this. We're not just going to take Roman uh, tradition and, and not say that we didn't have it first. And so what they do is they take this, and later, after the first century, they say, oh, four cups, yeah, here are the meaning to the four cups. And they, they're the ones who come up with four cups. We, uh, in the first century, we have no evidence whatsoever that, the, uh, that there were four cups at the Passover Seder. We have no evidence whatsoever that Christ uh, had four cups at his Passover Seder, that this was tradition in the time. And so to then try to attach uh, meaning of something that Christ says to a tradition that comes possibly 500 years later uh, is... I think anachronistic at best. I don't believe that, that there were four cups. If there were, it came from the Dapnon, not from uh, not from a Passover tradition. That's what I got to say. Rob? Yeah, yeah. The question is, is the rabbinic, traditional rabbinic Seder text to be interpreted? Right. Or is the traditional rabbinic Seder a brand the rabbinic brand of what makes a quote true Pesach Seder in the rabbinic halakhic sense and was part of the shaping and building of that meal done and and developed with knowledge of the gospel. Right. And as, and at least in part a shoring up of the, uh, uh, of the, of the boundaries of the community in response to the gospel. I think it, it, we have so many other examples that to me, the second example makes is more explanatory. And so what Caleb, what I hear you saying, Caleb, is that then if that's true, if we accept that as a premise, that the rabbis took 
deep non-tradition, Jewish deep non-traditions around Pesach and kind of made it their own, made their own brand, and then started enforcing this is the only way to truly keep Pesach. As their power and authority expanded over the centuries, that became crystallized tradition. But if we then look at that, project it anachronistically into the first century, and then try to map it on Luke, Luke's account or whatever, where we're not going to, they're not going to map well. And so what I think Caleb is doing, what Dr. Petrie has done is to, okay, so let's, let's just loosen our insistence on the rabbinic version of the Seder and go back to the scripture as text, not the rabbinic Seder as the text I need to interpret. Like what part is the Messiah? What about the fecal man and all this stuff, but rather go and say, what can I learn from the text itself and, and start there. I think that's a better method. Yeah. So, and here's the thing is that I know I I can anticipate the question. Then why would we have this, this article four cups in the meaning in the Passover Seder? My father is, uh, celebrates a traditional Jewish Seder and he finds great, a benefit and meaning from that, and I have no problem with that. He's, he he uh, goes through a traditional rabbinic seder, and he um, has all four of the cups. And so, uh, with that, tra- he believes that that tradition uh, not only is uh, is specific to his heritage, but also to um, to it gives meaning to the seder for him. And I have no problem with that. Yeah, I don't have I I don't have any problem with that at all. And so that so the there's many I think Jews for Jesus for example like just right. in terms of uh, outreach to the larger Christian church that are open to it they they probably so you know, chosen. when you have a Christian church being introduced to Passover they're not they're not being told about a first century Dapnon that has bookend right. uh, wine and and etc they're being taught you know here's your Passover plate with your shank bone and your your <laughs> your egg and there's four cups of wine. And this was, you know, the cup of salvation, I think, or the cup of redemption um, would have been the cup after supper, you know, kind of along the lines that that you see in that article. And so so um, all of that to say, I think that if you are wanting to celebrate a traditional Jewish uh, Passover Seder and you want to understand the meaning that has been attached to a lot of these different traditions, then by all means, the four cups and their meaning in the Passover Seder, uh, this article is going to, I think, uh, be very enlightening in how people can understand these four cups that are in a traditional Seder. I have no problem with that at all. And so I would I would uh, encourage anyone to go uh, to, to go and take a look at this article. Now, with that said, uh, the bear farmer is, says, is the information that Caleb just presented with receipts in Celebrate the Feast book I might be ordering tomorrow. So uh, first of all, we should note that there is a 25% off sale on this book starting tomorrow, which is March 31st, 2022. Um, and so, or is it April 1st? <laughs> April Fools. I don't know. Um, anyway, it's the next day. It's tomorrow. It's Thursday. <laughs> uh, and so you can go and get that book uh, on sale if you see this within that time period. And uh, yes, this, I'll, I mean, full disclosure here, everything that you find in that book is um, can be found in article format. I think everything except for maybe one or two 
articles. Um, everything can be found on Torah Resource for free. However, what we did with the book is we put it into a book format so you can actually hold it and read it, but also we did the work of compiling all those. So instead of having to go and try to find where every article is that we would talk about Passover, we've done that for you. And so that is the, uh, that's the nicety of that book. And not only that, but you can help support to a resource uh, by doing that. Uh, but yes, all of that information with receipts is in that book. Okay. Uh, my kids love the Afikoman. Who doesn't love the Afikoman? Dude, I got 20 bucks for the Afikoman once when I was a kid. That was like the greatest Passover surprise of my childhood. Um, okay. Let's move on. For he who is not against us is for us. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, I want to go to another audio, another audio clip. And we're going to let, uh, we're just going to let Rob wax on this boldly. Okay. okay, so I've not heard this. Okay, go. Hey, uh, what up and shalom. Uh, this is Justin Mulford, and uh, I had a question about, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the cursed tablet, the, the cursed tablet is what it's called, um, that was recently discovered, or at least they recently announced it, and it's on the news. Um, it's got the, the name on it, and um, I was trying to find more information about it. This is the first time I've ever heard of anything like this. Um, if you haven't heard, it's, um, I think what they're describing it as, um, it's got curse and it's got the Father's name written on it. I just wondered if you guys had any um, knowledge about curse tablets in general. I'll be trying to look more into that, but um, never heard of this before. It's pretty interesting. So hope you guys are having a great day. Thanks. I, so I did hear that because you played for that for me. And I pinged, I pinged Justin on Monday just to respond saying, Hey, I got the voicemail. Thanks. Um, I like Justin. He's funny on Facebook. He posts some funny stuff anyway. Uh, so yeah, there I, people, it's probably been around the internet for a few days now that there, I think it's called ABR associates of biblical research or something. They had a press conference saying, there was found in sifting through a rubble heap at Mount Ebal up in Samaria, which was Mount Ebal is the mountain of cursing, you know, so Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. In the time of Joshua, Joshua was instructed to build an altar there. And they claimed, they think we have found the altar that Joshua built. And there has been a reputable archaeologist had excavated Mount Ebal like years ago. And in so doing, there was like a, a rubble heap from that excavation. And, and so I, my understanding is this people from this ABR had been going through the rubble heap just to see if there's anything. And they found a tiny little, I think it's like two centimeters by two centimeters. If that it's tiny little piece of lead that had been pounded out and sheeted and then folded up. So folded up, it was like this tiny little thing fit and just kind of like a tiny little uh, coin or something, like a quarter postage stamp yeah. kind of maybe a little, a big postage stamp kind of thing. And so you can see pictures of this little thing. It's zoomed in, of course, but they said there's writing. It looks like there's probably writing in this thing. This is a folded up piece of lead sheeting or whatever. So they used this fancy tomography thing where, where it's this fancy kind of computer imaging software, which takes these multiple slices. Uh, they, they do it for like 
you know, for mapping someone's brain or something like that. And then they have this kind of 3D image and then they can go through and see the inscription. So they, my understanding is they have not unfolded this thing. This is not something you can see with your naked eye. This is all something that they've derived through this computer imaging that then maps and then models what it would be like to unfold it right? Because they haven't actually unfolded it either. And then you have an artist, all they've produced, at least all they shared publicly so far, to my knowledge, is this, it looks like a, I called it a man dodging an ax, kicking a letter shin kind of thing. <laughs> You've probably seen it. And they say, this is the name Yahoo, yod Hey vav And that's all they've shown. But all you see is the guy's artistic rendering. They're not showing you any actual text, but then they give you the full translation kind of in the, I'm, you know, call me overly suspicious, but it's, it almost reminds me of the Joseph Smith kind of thing. Like here's the, (laughs) trust me on the translation. And they, it says cursed, cursed, you are cursed, something like that by, by the God Yod, Hey, Vav. That's what they're saying. Um, You will die. You will certainly die at the hands of the God, yod heh vav curse, 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 or something like that. And they say it's a, a chiasm. So it's like, it, uh, it has kind of a poetic structure to it. And, but this has not been published for scrutiny under peer epigraphers. You know, pe- specialists in, in Northwest Semitic inscriptions have not all like descended I'm, upon I'm, this I'm, get, I'm getting a picture of of the of the photographer who's like 25 being like hey man i i bet it says right <laughs> no they they have they have uh his name is uh galil i think Gershom i'm just galil, playing i'm sure from, he's a much better scholar than, than from, anyone from, i know uh, i think he's from university of haifa or something so he's israel but he's kind of been controversial in the past but it doesn't matter because it hasn't been actually published and apparently they're going to publish this in the summer. But the point is this also the language that they propose is not biblical language. That's one thing. Uh, why would someone write? And first of all, it's an amulet. The idea of writing a curse and folding it up is almost like something that an evil person would want to do to try to like put a curse on somebody else. I mean, like, like, like who's going to wear, you might wear a blessing around your neck as jewelry or something, but a curse that says you will die. Da, 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 curse, curse, that, reminds, curse. that reminds me of, of uh, Treasure Island, right? The, the black spot. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? They'll no, give you the bl- no. Oh, come on, man. Okay. Anyway, like something that you would give to like, so they, they have this little amulet and they give it to someone as a curse. Is that, is that maybe what would be? Well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what, like, why would someone go at great length to put this time let's just say this is what it actually says like what they let's just say it actually says what they think it says someone took great pains to hammer out a little piece of lead and you know inscribe this thing fold it up and then do something with it it has nothing to do with the torah it has nothing to do do with you know god's commandments you're supposed to be a blessing and abide in a blessing you know um the idea that somebody would, you know, you're going to die, you know? And the other thing is that spelling God's name, yod Hey vav is that's only used in the Bible as a 
like Yeshiyahu, right at the end, or Yirmiyahu, at the end of a name. It's not like just a name in and of itself. Um, there's there's all sorts of problems, um, and so I my view is this: is that it will either fade away, or they will publish. They'll attempt to publish the images, and then it's going to go through the meat grinder of rigorous, you know, people who are specialists in inscriptions from Israel from the Bronze Age, you know, from you know sure. second millennium into the first millennium. And, and then it's going to come out looking very different than what they're selling. <laughs> I mean, do you think that they'll ever un, unfold it? I have no idea. I have no All idea. Right. All right. Well, everybody, I said it was going to be a short show, and it is a short show because uh, I have a obligation I have to get to, and uh, so we have a hard stop. And because of that, we are going to get going. But I hope... That this, uh, that this episode has been a blessing to everyone. Uh, if you have questions or comments or want to talk about something or want us to talk about something, please give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. That is just an answering machine. You won't talk to us. You can also shoot us an email, cheg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. And uh, we read all of your emails. All right, guys. We hope... Hang on, let me find my music. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.